Welcome to It's the ADHD Friendly Podcast, where we talk all things well-being, personal development, and living our best damn ADHD lives at home and at work. My name is Karen McGill. I'm a certified ADHD life coach, and I'm here to help you do life better. Raise your hand if now or sometime in the past you haven't been either mildly or perhaps wildly burned out. Well, if you've got your hand raised right now, then you are in very good company because, well, most of us have been there and all of us have uh, experienced it probably in the last two years. And some of us experience it like Hotel California style, you know, like you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So it just cycles and cycles. So if all of that sounds very familiar to you today, then um, stick around because I'm talking about adult burnout. And this is not something that's just related to ADHD, but I'm going to frame it that way because I feel like we tend to find ourselves more often than most, and there's typically a reason for it, aka self-induced burnout. So if um, any of that sounds familiar, I hope that today is helpful. Let's start with a definition of burnout, uh, which is now, by the way, recognized by the World Health Organization as an actual global syndrome. Here's their definition. Burnout is a syndrome that results from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by feeling depleted or exhausted, uh, feeling mental distance from one's job or feeling negative and cynical about it, and or feeling professionally inefficient. Uh, They go on to say that burnout is a specific phenomena to occupation occupational context and should not be applied to uh, describe experiences in other areas of life. And to that, I want to unequivocally say BS. Listen, who in the last year or two has not felt burned out because of the pandemic, because of ongoing global travesties, um, isolation, loneliness, boredom, Zoom happy hours, and just life in general? You do not have to be employed and not enjoying your job to feel burned out. And that is like a big, you know, underscore under that one. So I know that the World Health Organization has bigger fish to fry right now, but I really believe that this definition needs a serious revamp because we all know what burnout is and we've all felt it. And that's just kind of the reality of life right now. But how does burnout actually happen and what do we do about it? Well, if we look at the definition that the WHO gives us, the World Health Organization, you know, we might think that burnout comes from work, uh, overwork, um, less autonomy in work and less agency in work. And by agency, I mean you have less decision-making power over your choices and time than you would like to have. And because of all of those reasons, it's sort of a learned helplessness where you just become numb to everything because you're you're on this the cycle of you know trying to meet demands whereas there's no autonomy there and there's no decision making that you get to make and and I believe all of that is true but I want to talk about this in a broader context where it comes to burnout in a you know a lifestyle perspective which can apply to work but can also apply to the things we commit ourselves to either in relationships or just hobbies. Like this is where I'm talking specific to ADHD. You know, anything that's sparkly that we just, you know, pick up and say, yeah, we're going to run with this. This is our new thing. This is my new life mission. 
I don't need to go there because I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so every time we go through these cycles, it's not just burnout. The end result is a loss of trust in our own ability to do life well. Burnout is not just exhaustion. It's a cycle of shame, disappointment, and often broken promises to others, which leads to broken relationships, which leads to greater and greater amounts of shame. So let's look a little closer at why this happens and where it starts, which is with overcommitment. Now, why do people overcommit to things, especially ADHDers? Well, here's a few reasons. May or may not apply to you, but take what you need and leave the rest. Very often we're people pleasers. This is true for me. This is true for a lot of the clients that I deal with. And we just, we genuinely want to be helpful. We're also not very good with boundaries. So saying no is hard and uh, we don't want to disappoint people. We're also time blind. So things are either now or they're not now. And the concept of planning is not something that was easily done in our brain in the moment. So especially when our we're tired or you know we have low executive function we're not thinking about how much time something's going to take when we say oh yeah absolutely I'll do that and taking stock of you know comparing that into everything else we have to commit to lastly and i think most commonly that i see in my practice is we want to do all the things it sounds interesting to us to do all the things and it gives us a little dopamine score to say yes and see somebody else happy. It makes us happy too. So, you know, the end result of that is that we have so many top priorities that nothing's a top priority. So, you know, I like to, I like to illustrate this as like a set of shelves. All right. And our brains are set up to neurotypical brains, I should say, are set up to prioritize things on shelves. So top priorities go on top shelf, like keeping yourself alive, keeping your children alive and your plants and your pets and, you know, showing up for work so that you have employment and a roof over your head. Top shelf priorities, right? And then second shelf priorities may be like, you know, showing up at certain other places on time or, or doing certain things that you commit to. And then third place or third shelf priorities, I don't know, everything else. The thing with neurodivergent people is that we have a hard time putting things on the appropriate shelf. So a neurotypical person, or just let's say like a normal, I was going to say normal, but no, neurotypical person will, you know, they'll know to put taxes that are due tomorrow on the top shelf. And they'll, they'll know that replacing winter boots in July is a bottom shelf priority. No problem. But we do things differently. We have interest in anything that, you know, we have interest in goes on the top shelf. Everything else goes on the floor. It's in the next room. And we have completely forgotten about the other two shelves, or we didn't even notice that they were there in the first place. <laughs> so this is where I'm talking about, um, you know, overcommitment in the sense that, you know, we are inherently kind, typical, optimistic people, and we genuinely want to do things for other people. We're not trying to schnooker anyone when we say yes to that ask. There's no hidden agenda. We just want to show up and be of service. But that organization in the moment is, uh, is, doesn't work very well for us. So here's what happens. As we move from overcommitment to overextending, 
we really do try to genuinely do all the things. And at first it's like, yeah, I got this. And sometimes we are really good at keeping all the balls in the air. That's our superpower, but it is also our kryptonite. And because we might even get applauded for keeping all those balls in the air, which feels really good, right? To get those gold stars. So we're focused on that. We're hyper-focused on that to the point where we forget that we're hungry, we haven't had water in 48 hours, and we really need to use the bathroom. So at this point, the overwhelm, which is the third part of that cycle, starts to creep in. When we start ignoring our own needs, our body revolts. It says, to heck with you, I need some downtime, a hot meal, and a solid eight-hour sleep. But you have no time for this. So you push onward and you try to extend your own needs in these short moments of time that, you know, while you have all the balls in the air, you know, you're trying to take care of yourself and it's not working because guess what? You're not a professional juggler. So those balls, they start to drop one by one by one. And along with that, so does your confidence. So does your self-trust because people start to notice And some of them feel let down that you weren't able to keep their balls in the air. And then they start to wonder why you can't keep your balls in the air, AKA keep your life together. And all the while you are desperately trying to keep the momentum going while your body continues to go, nah, honey, this is not happening. So here's uh, the TLDR. Your body will always win either by hook or by crook. It always does because it has the power to stop you in your tracks either because your nervous system shuts down from overstimulation. So you go into freeze mode or you get sick physically, emotionally, mentally, or lucky you if it's all three. And I'm being sarcastic. Does this sound familiar to you? (laughs) Well, if it does, then uh, again, you're not alone, but what do we do about it? And how do we stop the burnout cycle? Well, let's start back at overcommitment because this is really where it starts. Women ADHD or not, are socialized to be helpful, to quote unquote, be there for other people. And we want to do this. This is how we connect. It's how we express love. The problem is that we simply cannot give equal time and energy to everything on our top shelf. We have to move some stuff down to the second and third shelf, but that means putting some practices in place so that you're not saying yes as a knee-jerk reaction to everything that comes up. And let me just do a sidebar here. I'm not talking about just requests from other people. Very often it is, but it's also other things. It's things that we say yes to that aren't requests to other people, but you know, it's like a new thing you want to do in your business or a new thing you want to do on the weekends because the old thing is no longer feeling as interesting because we do like to quit an awful lot. We have interest-driven brains. And often it's also numbing behaviors, right? Like scrolling Instagram or you know binge watching stuff on Netflix. All of those things feel really good, but it doesn't necessarily serve us. We know this. Personally, this is what I've done to combat the overcommitment. I had to create a rule for myself. This is where it comes externally, the, the external boundary. I never say yes to things in the moment. I have to give myself at least 12 hours to digest the ask and see if it's something I can do or even if I want to, because I'm very good to say yes in the moment and genuinely say yes in the moment, thinking that's a great idea. You know, you've just been bonding with somebody for a while and they're like, let's go on a trip together to the Oligarp, like the Oligarp. 
And you say, that's an awesome idea. Let's totally do that. Let's get together next week and start planning it. And then like the next day, you're like, what the hell did I agree to? I have done this because it feels good in the moment. And I genuinely want to do it in the moment. And then I I, I come down off that connection high and I realize this is not <laughs> possible or aligned to anything I want to do. So I always give myself and out and say, and and sometimes I'm just honest and say, you know, I have this new rule. I don't say yes to anything in the moment. And sometimes if it's somebody I don't know very well, it's just like, thank you. You know, I'll get back to you when I check my calendar or it's just not responding to the email, you know, the minute I read it or the text is minute, uh, the minute I read it. So that has helped me. The other thing that has helped me a great deal, which is going to sound Captain Obvious, but I've never done it before, uh, is getting in a habit of planning my week. So I have not, as I said, been very good at doing this. And the problem is that I'm not very good with rigid schedules. So if you are one of those people that can schedule your Google Calendar down to the 15-minute interval and follow it, well, like, you know, (laughs) you get an award for being awesome. I can't do that. And the thought of it just grazes my anxiety and I have to manage that. So instead, I've had to really come up with a system that works for me that I can get into a habit of. And of course, you guys have all heard me talk about habits around fitness. And when I found a habit that worked for me, it became super easy and like a no-brainer to do. And I've had to work really hard to find a planning system that works for me too. It's you know kind of tweaking and evolving over time, but I have found a system that works for me. So what I do is spend some time on a Sunday blocking off all the big things that I need to get done in a week. So that means I have a visual appearance because I am like a visual, I do conceptualize things in much better in a visual space. So I block off my morning routine. Uh, I don't like doing anything before 10 AM because that's when I'm doing my workout and journaling and all these things that help me build up my executive function. They sound very luxurious, but it's actually, I call it medicinal. Um, so I'm showing up at work and turning on my computer with, you know, full cognitive attention. So nothing before 10 a.m. Then nothing after 6.30 p.m. because my brain is kind of mushy at that point and I'm not productive. So that's my time to hang out, chill out, make dinner, enjoy, you know, time on the couch with my husband. So I only have that that time in between, right? And, and of course, then there's sleep and I have to get eight hours because again, it's a cognitive function thing. So once I see all of that, knowing that I have a crap ton to do between carrying like the load of a corporate client and my coaching consulting business and content creation and like having a social life and actually getting out of the house and, you know, being a a human interacting in the world, (laughs) there's a lot. There is a lot. So when I add up all that time, I realize, oh crap, I don't have the time to scroll Instagram or all of those things. Now, if I do need to scroll Instagram just as like, you know, my brain needs to take a little break or I need some inspiration, I'll do that after 6.30. But I can't do that beforehand because I literally do not have the time. And I know that because I look at my schedule. Then so I talked about the time before 10 a.m. and the time after 6:30 p.m. That time in between. I do time blocks. So if I have meetings, then those are automatic time blocks. I need, I will always show up for clients and client work and appointments and things like that. So then I have to work around the rest of that, right? Those are all my big rocks in place. And now I know I've got content creation to do. I've got business building activities to do, all these other things. So what I'll do is block out time, like two to three hours of time, usually after that 10 a.m. period, because that's when my cognitive function is at its highest. And I'll have a list of tasks that I want to go through. And this is why I don't like 
block every minute because I don't want to look at my calendar every 15 minutes, but also I want to plan my tasks in advance. But when I get to that block of time, I want to really um, adjust the, the order of it to how I feel. So if my energy is low, then I want to do some of those easier tasks first because it, this is um, for this is actually a really good thing to to point out and underscore that whole eat your frog or eat the frog first thing in the morning is not ADHD friendly. We're better off doing if we're like feeling a little sloggy or slow to start or if we're procrastinating, do easy things first. Get a couple of quick wins and that will like build up the dopamine in your head and just open things up and get your brain moving. It's like lubrication for your brain so that those harder things become easier. Now, don't leave the absolute hardest thing to the end of the day when you're exhausted, but do a couple of quick wins first and then get into the meaty stuff of the day. And if you're finding that you are still unable to push through, then you're looking at your tasks and they're not clear enough. They're not broken down enough. So try doing that as an exercise instead. So I hope that's clear in terms of how I do it. You would have to come up with your own way of doing it, but I think that's really important. And um, I also love body doubling at the first at the top of the week. So I'm planning with other people. We don't even necessarily have to talk, but I do have structured routines where you know, I'm showing up and other people are showing up and we're all planning our week together. And I might do a plan your week with me podcast slash YouTube video. If that's something that interests you, drop me a note um, on Instagram or on my YouTube. Everything's, it's ADHD friendly. Uh, and let me know what you think because it's been helpful for me. So you might find that help you, helpful too. Moving on from time management, energy management is equally, if not more important, and it's less obvious. And it's not something that we can plan for as well as we can plan for time, but we can optimize it. So by prioritizing your self-care, like remember I was talking about earlier, my morning routine and my nighttime routine, sleep, good food, exercise. We all know how to do this and we know what works for us, but if we can um, prioritize it and get it done first, then we are going to be far less likely to burn out because our energy cycles are incredibly important. In fact, the more you prioritize your self-care, the more you're going to be able to show up for the things that you do say yes to. So the irony is that we think we need to deprioritize our own self-care to do all the things, but in reality, if the self-care isn't there, there's no energy to do anything because your nervous system goes into that freeze mode, right? And then we're toast. So if you've come to this point and you're thinking, okay, it all sounds great, but I am just literally too busy. I don't have time to take care of myself. Then I got some bad news for you. You're going to perpetuate this burnout cycle. And until you are willing to come to Jesus, sorry if that offends Christians, you can use that in the literal sense or in the sarcastic sense, but unless you're willing to seriously have a talk with yourself about what you're capable of doing in a day and actually setting greater expectations for yourself, it's never going to change. Things don't change until you change. So how does this start and where do we actually like dig in and start to make change? I believe it starts with organizing that top shelf and being super honest with yourself about what needs to say and what can go. I know that can seem very scary, but if you are neglecting everything on that shelf by default, then there's clearly simply not enough time in the day to fix that issue. So some things has to go because they're being neglected anyways, right? So here is a little recap that might be helpful to kind of put this into perspective. The cycle of burnout, as we know, starts with overcommitment. 
It then goes into overextension until it gets to be too much, which brings us to the brink of overwhelm. And then it's a quick slide into burnout. We know that we can stop the cycle by organizing our top shelf and reprioritizing our time and energy to those top shelf items first. The rest is either going to fit into small portions of leftover time or not at all. We also talked about getting into a cycle of planning so that we know in advance how much time we have left over in the day for all of those not top shelf items that need to get attention paid to them. And finally, we realize that self-care is a non-negotiable. It has to be on that top shelf or else we risk having unreliable energy to take care of anything else. So now what? If I were your coach, I would tell you or ask you or invite you, never tell you to do anything, uh, I would invite you to take that inventory of everything you're doing right now, to-dos, scheduled appointments, uh, what, what you're dealing with at work, what you're dealing with at home, laundry, like clean the kitchen, routines, all the things. Put it down and start looking at it. Start either doing that time blocking thing that I talked about, or if you are a little bit more meticulous and you like to you know, plot things out more meticulously in a calendar, try that. Here's an interesting exercise, time task tracking. So let me give you an example. I did this in a coaching group and it was mind blowing. You, for example, may think, uh, you know, as you're thinking through all this process of top shelf things and you think, okay, well, getting my kid to school and walking them to school is a top shelf item for me. And that takes 45 minutes. Time track it. From the time that you are starting to, you know, rally your kid out the door to the time that you come back to the house or get to the office, how long does that take? Is it 45 minutes or is it more like an hour and a half? When everybody in the coaching group did this time tracking exercise, the majority of people were floored by whatever task they had picked, how off they were. Some people, it was less, but most people was more. And that's really sort of at the root of how we are not great at plotting time and tracking time and showing up for things. And that's also how we get into overwhelm because we legit think we have enough time in the day to do these things. But when you get down into the minutia of actually tracking that time, you realize that, "Mm, I don't actually. And Here's another little uh, fun thing to remember. There's 168 hours in a week, right? We all have 168 hours in a week. If you work a 40-hour work week and you sleep eight hours a night, which I really hope you are, that is 96 hours of that week right there accounted for. That doesn't include commuting or getting up in the morning and getting your family ready and getting you ready and doing your hair and uh, making your lunch and you know getting back in the car and going home or going to the gym and then getting home and cooking dinner and cleaning the house and doing all of the things that you do, including you know feeding yourself and your family, parenting, socializing, paying bills, lawn care, oil changes, planning, exercising, putting your pants on, all of those things. When you think about it, there's what, 70 hours-ish after like work and sleep? Wow. What are you doing with those 70 hours? (laughs) Are you even tired thinking about that? I am. I am tired of thinking about that. So that is how I would recommend thinking about this and where to start, you know? And if, if, time tracking feels a little bit overwhelming, just do something super simple. Get yourself a couple of these. There's like little time trackers on Amazon that you can get and they are so helpful. Anything that visually attracts your attention that you can put in different rooms. I talked about this in my Sunday setup last week. Um, they're really helpful. Like you just turn it on for, it's kind of like, you know, like the egg timers, if you're old school and used to have egg timers, 
same idea, but it might be like an hour or something like that. So you can, you know, have one of those in your bathroom and set it for half an hour, assuming that's how much it's going to take you to get in and out of the bathroom doing all the things you need to do to look like a normal human being and see if it's actually half an hour or not. You know, these are just such powerful practices and they may sound very minutia and overkill, but sometimes overkill is necessary to back into progress and success. And once you know how much time things take, and once you are better able to plan for your week, you're not only going to be able to address like the most top shelf important things in your life, which is living intentionally, but you're also going to be able to carve out space for things that are important to you, things that you actually want to do, you know, the goals you want to achieve. I keep talking about, you know, ways that you can actually get to your juiciest, dreamiest goals. This is how you do it. This is the work. It's not cute, but it's effective. So anyway, that's what I've got for you this week. I would love to know what you think about all of this. I would also love to know if you would like uh, an episode around planning where, you know, you would hear me in your earballs, or if you showed probably even better on YouTube, where it's like, we all sit down. It's not necessarily live. We could do it live. I would love to hear if you'd like this. And it's like, okay, for the next 10 minutes, we're going to do a brain dump of all the things we need to do for work. Then 10 minutes are up. Next 10 minutes, brain dump. Uh, like home stuff, 10 minutes wrap, five minutes, bring down, you know, goals we want to, uh, you know, push down the field, five minutes wrap. Okay. Now we're going to start placing those in our calendar. And for the next couple of minutes, I want you to think about, um, have you time tracked or are you being realistic with your timing? What's one thing you can time track this week? What's the most important thing, uh, to do, to deal with this week? What's the big domino things that are going to, you know, make everything else a little bit easier. I'm curious if something like that would be helpful for you. I, I do it as a as regular practice, um, as a participant in a coping coaching group. And I think that might be helpful here. And I would love to do that if it sounds helpful. So reach out to me on Instagram, it's ADHD friendly, or on YouTube, it's ADHD friendly. Find me there, subscribe, do all the things, and also get on my Sunday setup where I will also throw this out in an easy way for you to reach out and tell me if you'd like that. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you have a great week. I will be back next week with more goodness on how to live your best damn ADHD life. I appreciate you. Thank you. Be well, be safe, be healthy. Take care. Thank you for listening. For links and resources for this podcast, please visit itsadhdfriendly.com or click the link in the show description. Please also be sure to subscribe so you get automatic updates when new shows are posted. And of course, please do leave us an ADHD-friendly review. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.